0: Welcome back to another Cardinals off day podcast lockout edition. Uh, Ben, as we sit here, I think we have to assume that the players have been locked out as we record this, the CBA is expiring. I guess we don't officially know if they're locked out yet, but uh, it seems like the conclusion is that that's the decision the owners will make. So um, as folks are listening to this on Thursday morning, if uh, you know Yadi or Weino want to head out to Bush Stadium and you know lift some weights or anything like that, uh, their uh, their key cards no longer work, and uh, that's uh, that's our reality for the foreseeable future. Uh, ben, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I I'm uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it has been
1: a fun uh, last several days with all of the free agent signings. Uh, before the lockout, um, and I found it pretty interesting. Uh, you know, Manfred did the press availability, and he was like, you know, they asked him about a lockout, and he was like, "Well, we're trying to find, fu- we're trying to get an agreement before the deadline." And i I found the framing really fascinating because it's just hogwash. There's no deadline. Okay. It, it's an artificial construct that the media has completely bought and foisted upon us. If the CBA expires, it still governs relations between uh, the players and owners until there's a new CBA. So there's no difference between today and tomorrow under labor law. <laughs> and so, uh, so uh, he says this, and, th- and then he goes on and says, well, there's a difference between a lockout that helps, helps us achieve a resolution and a work stoppage, you know? And I found that yeah. really hilarious too, because the lockout is the owner's way of preempting the players to prevent them from being able to go on a strike to reduce the player's leverage and hopefully, hopefully get them to make more concessions in the owner's way uh, during negotiations. And so there really isn't much of a difference between a lockout and a strike. It's each side trying to maximize their leverage in this situation. Um, and so uh, I'm already pretty disappointed with the way the media has been covering this. And I, I don't think I'm going to be very happy about it at any point in time during the whole, the whole ordeal. Uh, but we're on the cusp of the lockout. And and once they do lock the players out, uh, major league uh, negotiations are going to be dead. And so it's going to be a dead period for major league moves. And I've uh, read some reporting that they're going to broadly interpret the impact of that. Um, so teams will not even be able to negotiate like a minor league contract with a non roster invite to spring training. They can't even do that, despite the fact it's not a major league contract. Uh, just for example, is what I saw some reports of earlier today. So it's going to be really slim pickings in terms of, of hot stove uh, rumors,
0: you know, oh, yeah. in the. MLB, Net- MLB Network is just going to show infomercials and old episodes of Sanford and Son. I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, they're, it's, it, they're, they're shutting they're it all They're just going to
1: show a Field of Dreams marathon. Um, and <laughs> and uh, then they'll it, occasionally play the Field of Dreams game from this summer uh, to break up the monotony of, of Kevin Costner and Ray Liotta and uh, the rest of the cast uh,
0: from the movie. They're just going to play Kevin Costner slowly walking out into the outfield at the Field of Dreams game for the next three months until uh, they hopefully reach uh, reach some uh, some labor peace here. So uh, yeah, so we're in for probably a pretty long, uh, dull period here, um, but. Uh, Uh, In the meantime, and especially here in the last week, we had uh, a whole lot of uh, real flurry of activity. And so I think that's where we kind of want to kick things off here today, Ben. And so, you know, we thought until really about uh, an hour ago, we'd be kicking things off, um, talking just about the the Cardinals' big acquisition of uh, Stephen Matz, who we, of course, uh, dubbed uh, Dr. Thunder on our last podcast. Uh, And in his honor, I will crack a Dr. Thunder right now. (laughs) Uh, And uh, of course, we dubbed Stephen Matz Dr. Thunder because uh, as we kind of previewed who the Cardinals might go after, uh, you and I both agreed that their their top target should be Marcus Stroman. Um, and Marcus Stroman, of course, would be Dr. Pepper, the, the better of the two, the name brand option. But we thought Stephen Matz, uh, you know, a lot of similarities, maybe kind of your, your store brand version of, of Marcus Stroman. Well, here within the last hour, <laughs> things have changed. So not only has, have the Cardinals signed Dr. Thunder Steven Matz, but now we've learned that the Chicago Cubs... Have in fact signed Dr. Pepper Marcus Stroman. So, uh, Ben, what are your thoughts as we're just kind of digesting this information?
1: Um, well, my initial thought uh, when I saw the the contract numbers that it's going to be three years, seventy one million, and uh, with an opt out after the second year. Uh, so he he could become a free agent after the 2023 season uh, assuming there's a 2022 season I guess um, I have not actually read like what if there's a work stoppage that swallows all of the 2022 season how does that impact contracts um but yeah.
0: uh, I that's that'd be a lot of Sanford that, that, and son that's what we would be that. A, a whole
1: lot of, of Sanford and son and they would probably uh, like bring John Heyman and Billy Ripkin on to comment on the old sitcoms
0: and uh absolutely yeah it'd be kind of an mst3k sort of situation absolutely it would be
1: uh it would be basically no better than youtube uh at that point in time
0: no it would be terrible but we would actually start watching it because we would have nothing else well that's that's definitely true
1: and so you know the the first thing that struck me is number one if that's the contract, why on earth did the Cardinals not do that? Um, no. And the, the first reason that jumps out to me is the Cardinals' aversion to uh, giving players opt-outs. Um, and Ben, you've discussed this in great depth. Uh, when the Cardinals are the team that agrees to a contract with a free agent, there has not been an opt out in one of those contracts uh, if my memory serves me correctly is that correct
0: yeah no they've never they've never done that and so <laughs> there's there there's a whole there's a really interesting list of things the cardinals have never done they have never signed a player with a qualifying offer attached they have never given a player uh, an opt-out so you know those are all things they could hypothetically do someday but until we see it i, I would not hold your breath on those being things that the Cardinals. and did. they they of
1: course acquired a player with opt-outs in his contract
0: in arenado yeah um and i view right yeah but although i think he's actually he might actually be the first thing is he the first they've even acquired with opt-outs i think he might be i, I think he is but that i kind of chalk up
1: to a very unique situation because yeah. they also got the Rockies to foot the bill on a, on a pretty good sized right. chunk of his salary. They also negotiated in a, a new opt out, yeah. uh, to add to the contract. But, um, you know, again, I think the Cardinals felt that the portion of the salary the Rockies were picking up in a way compensated them for the, the potential opt out. Yeah. Um, and listening to Moseylock talk about contracts, and you know he he tells you what we all already know: teams are playing are paying players for the production up front, and they know that they're going to be you know quote unquote overpaying for their likely produ- production on the back end. Um, and but something that Moseylock has often said is. But that is not always the case. And so if we're going to pay someone with the expectation that we're paying market value for their early seasons and we're going to overpay for their late seasons, if they give us more value than we anticipated in the early years, that likely means that they're on a trajectory to perhaps overperform or equal what we're paying them in the later years. And why wouldn't we want that benefit? under the contract by guaranteeing it and not allowing the player to opt out and go get paid somewhere else. And so uh, that mindset, on the one hand, I understand, and it makes sense. Uh, But on the other hand, you know, if you've got Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina's last hurrah, let's say, you've got Goldschmidt entering his decline phase in all likelihood, and frankly, Arenado probably entering his decline phase as well, you know, what do you really lose by getting perhaps two good years out of Marcus Stroman and letting him hit free agency again? You know, like that seems like it would dovetail pretty nicely with uh, the current window to win and also allow the team to reposition if they need to, to continue to win. And the Cardinals also don't like to discuss windows for winning, but there's undeniably – you know, you're constantly tweaking the roster. There's constantly roster churn. And right now you have a a nucleus that includes legacy Cardinals who are riding off into the sunset and big name acquisitions who are probably not going to be as good pretty soon. And so to me, it seems like you would want to maximize your ability to win now. And the best way to do that is to win your division Avoid any wildcard play-in. Caveat, who knows what's going to happen under the CBA with some of the proposals that have been bandied about. But if you win your division, you have the best chance of going as far as possible in the postseason. And the best way to win your division is to upgrade pitching. And Marcus Stroman is probably the best fit for this team outside Max Scherzer on the market. And so... Yeah. You know, I don't understand why you wouldn't just go get Dr. Pepper because Dr. Pepper's market didn't get all that silly.
0: Yeah, I I have two theories and these are just theories right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if even as folks are listening to this, we have a Ken Rosenthal or somebody, you know, maybe digs into the bull by blow and we know more about this. So this, even as people are listening to this, you know these these may have been proven you know you know wrong or we may have more information but the the two things that I wonder just as I speculate on this right now so number one is i think that first of all cardinals fans in general i think have drastically overestimated how much money the the cardinals franchise is going to spend in this free agent window and you know i think it got really um you know, talked up throughout the season, just the idea that, oh, there's all this money coming off the books because, you know, Fowler and Carpenter and Martinez, you know, those salaries are coming off the books, you know, and that was true. But the Cardinals are also now paying Nolan Arenado $35 million a year, which is a lot of money. And something else that Cardinals fans seem to always forget is that um, they re-signed Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, and even though you know those guys feel like Cardinals for life, and they have been, um, the team still has to pay them to play for the team, and uh, they're paying seventeen million dollars. To, um, to to those two guys for this season, um, and, and I've been kind of paying attention. Jason Hill at VEB I think has done a really good job of estimating what their payroll um, might be. Uh, he did this last year too; was pretty accurate on it. I think he just he tends to be pretty accurate on this. And, and his estimate for 2022 has been that that after the Wayno and Yadi extensions, the team was going to um, be looking to spend about 22 million. Um, which you know is not the giant amount that I think a lot of Cardinals fans thought. Oh, they were going to go out there and spend. So, just on a real numbskull level, if if that's the dollar amount that they're you know coming in there with, and you know Marcus Stroman with the pretty easy uh, salary elevator he has in that first season, looks pretty likely to make twenty seven million. You know, even at that level. You know he's potentially kind of priced out of their their market, or you know even if they stretched you know that could have you know blown what they may have set for themselves as their budget, so I think that's one possibility, but you know I also wonder. And i think even more than most free agent years this market has to have really changed a lot in a very short period of time and i think it's notable too that you know i mean stroman was basically the 11th hour of the 11th hour signing you know this you know his his signing was announced by a tweet by him like in my twitter feed immediately after the reports of like um all the negotiations ending (laughs) so I wonder if this is kind of a you know Marcelo Ozuna Christian Yelich situation the Cardinals were in a few years ago where you know the Cardinals wanted Yelich uh, they were told by the Marlins he's not available so they kind of acted early basically settled for Ozuna uh, the market situation changed Yelich became available and you know and the Brewers got a hold of him so I just wonder you know one week or so ago when the Cardinals signed Stephen Matz was, uh, Marcus Stroman seeking, uh, you know, more, more money, probably not more, more dollars, more AAV, but I bet he was perhaps seeking a longer contract, more years, you know, something else that maybe could have made it more unpalatable for the Cardinals. And, and then perhaps just as, you know, it was kind of reaching the, yeah, the CBA is going to expire. Maybe, uh, you know, he just decided, you know what, I'm kind of changing gears here a little bit, because I do think it is a little odd. I mean, obviously, a guy like Scherzer, an older player, you know, you know, signed like a three-year deal. A uh, three-year deal for a 30-year-old like Marcus Stroman is a little odd. So... I just, it it seems like maybe this was a last minute change of tactics for him, you know, to go for this, you know, just this three-year deal to get something locked up. And so, you know, maybe what the Cubs were able to sign here was just something that wasn't even on the table for the Cardinals at the moment that they kind of locked mats up. So, you know, in that case, they just kind of, you know, took themselves out of the game or the game changed after the fact. I don't know. Those are, those are my two theories anyway, I'm going to throw out there. You know, I I think that you make some very good points. Um, I
1: also think that the Cardinals uh, were, or at least seemed to me to be, uh, an early implementer of the more fielding-independent pitching model of evaluating pitchers. And I, and I'm thinking in particular about Adam Wainwright. You know, after he came back from Tommy John. His 2012 season, if you looked at the traditional stats, was not exactly eye popping, but they nonetheless signed him to an extension, and and I recall some people kind of raised an eyebrow at that, um, and and then of course he went out in 2013 and had a, you know, one of his, you know, top five Cy Young type seasons, and the team went to the World Series, and you know I also kind of wonder if. You know, the way that now the game has evolved with everything they can measure with statcast, you know, how do you how do you measure Stroman versus Mats? Because if, if you look at Stroman's, you know, kind of top line numbers, they're very comparable to Matts or better. If you look at, you know, some of the quality of contact numbers, uh, you know, Mats was a little bit better, and certainly if you look yeah. at the walks, uh, Strowman was better, but you know, Mats wasn't that far behind him. And uh, but if but if you look at you know some of the hard hit percentages, some of the uh, exit average exit velocity, barrel percentage, those types of stats, you know, Mats com- compares favorably to Strowman uh, in that area. And he was pitching in the American league with the DH. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's, yeah, uh, if, if you can get him for the, the price they did, you know, you might very well have Dr. Thunder, or you might have, have something that's, uh, much more like Dr. Pepper, uh, than anyone appreciates at this point in time.
0: Absolutely, and and I think that's what we have to really hope is the case because that's the best case scenario is that they have all that you know this information and they just truly believe that you know Steven Matz at eleven million dollars is just a much better you know value and uh, than uh, than Marcus Stroman is at twenty seven million and that if they're they're close to the same pitcher and and you know even if Stroman is is better he's not nearly you know, that much better. I tell you what, it's also going to be really, really fascinating. The fact that Stroman is going to the Cubs. Uh, You talk about, uh, we've got a real Pepsi challenge on our hands here, Ben. Uh, (laughs) We got both of these guys in the same division. Um, We talked about the reason both of them profiled so well for the Cardinals is that these are, you know, kind of pitch to contact ground ball guys. So, You know, even if just in a vacuum, Strowman is the more skilled of the two, it's going to be really interesting to see what that looks like when Matt is pitching in Bush Stadium in front of the St. Louis Cardinals defense, and Strowman is pitching in Wrigley Field in front of whoever it is plays for the Chicago Cubs.
1: Yeah. um, And those two fields obviously uh, play very differently. Uh, in particular, uh, when the wind is blowing out at wrigley and and so it will be uh, interesting to see how Stroman uh, performs in a in a more hitter friendly environment there in Wrigley. and then Matts will be in the pitcher friendly confines of Bush Stadium uh, in St Louis with uh, one cardinal Way in ballpark Village helping to further suppress offense uh, in the form of fly balls and so you know i i am very curious to see how this works out uh i'm pr- another thing that i'm particularly interested about you know the reporting indicated the way the cardinals one of the ways the cardinals helped seal the deal with mats was they went to a fourth year and it it suggested that yeah. mats had multiple three-year offers presumably including one from the Cardinals and they went to a fourth year. And, and so, you know, looking at that, the, the last time I recall them doing that was with Dexter Fowler. And of course that did not work out very well. And so it's, it's interesting to me that they're, it, it seems that they have a stronger aversion to the opt out than they do to tacking on an extra year at the end of some of these contracts and, you know, you wonder how that will play out on the back end with Matt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll we're, we're going to find out and we're going to find out over a number of games head to head between the, the Cardinals and the Cubs this season. So uh, so moving on, um, one other uh, kind of move that did happen today, the uh, the Cardinals did not re-sign. Luis Garcia, um, one of their bigger kind of bullpen finds from last season, uh, Luis Garcia signed with the San Diego Padres for uh, two years and $7 million. Um, Ben, you and I didn't talk about this move at all. What was your reaction to that? Um, well, I thought of you, um, <laughs> and, uh,
1: I, I wanted to get an official ruling from you on the Cardinals off day, never Pay for relievers philosophy. Is two years average annual val- value of three point five million? Is that uh pain too much? Uh, or does that qualify as not paying
0: for a reliever? <laughs> Well, it's not a big dollar amount, but I'm going to be honest. I still think it would have qualified as paying for relief pitching. And so I'm, you know, I'm fine with the Cardinals not doing this deal. I don't think it would have, if if you told me that the Cardinals had re-signed him to this, um, I don't, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't have... Uh, Throwing my chair across the room either um and i you know i saw a number of people online who were kind of frustrated about this too but i just gotta say i really really don't think this is going to be a move that anyone remembers or cares about um even by may 1st and you know what this really reminds me of uh do you remember pat neshek i Um, i do (laughs) i do
1: and you know he is he is an example of of why
0: you don't pay for pop-up relievers both ways right like exactly because and, and it's exactly the same situation so pat neshek came to st louis uh in 2014 he was 33 years old um you know had had just kind of floated around never really done much you know very pretty similar to luis garcia and just had this monster season era under two um, you know, two wins above replacement, went out, signed a, a multi-year deal after that. And and I have to admit, Pat Neshek was so good as a reliever, that was a moment that I actually had a little bit of a twinge of like, oh, I'm a little bit disappointed that we let Pat Neshek get away. And do you know what Pat Neshek did after he left the Cardinals, Ben? Uh, I, I re- If I
1: remember correctly, he signed a, a pretty good... Uh, Couple year deal and was thoroughly mediocre uh, as a reliever after he did so.
0: You're exactly right. Uh, He uh, had one good season later in his career in uh, 2017, but over about five other seasons, he was uh, replacement level every single one of those seasons. And uh, that's what I expect, about what I expect from Luis Garcia as well. And the bottom line is, you're about as likely to find uh, a Luis Garcia by signing somebody else as you are by re-signing Luis Garcia. So, I'm completely fine with letting Luis Garcia go. I'm glad we got what we got out of him, but um, yeah, I, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sweat it um, his departure for uh, for San Diego. Um, the other and, move, and, and also uh, so good car- for him oh,
1: yeah. for Parlane like what amounts to a partial season of excellent pitching for the Cardinals into $7 million over two years and a, and a job oh, for yeah. two years. Um, but it, it's something where, you know, if he had signed for one year, like three and a half four million a half, $4 million, I kind of would have been maybe, I think, a little bit more upset at the front office. But, you know, as you mm-hmm. just said, when you start locking in, relievers for two years, you're, you know, you're really uh, ushering in the opportunity for severe disappointment and frustration. (laughs) And so uh, you're okay with uh, him going elsewhere uh, for the contract that he got.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, especially when you're locking in relievers in their mid thirties who have, don't have a track record of success prior to their mid thirties. That's, just not promising.
1: Oh no, not at all. And so uh you know, I I really liked the way he pitched for the team. Uh and he was one of those guys where as a fan when he came in, you felt pretty good because he had good stuff yeah. and good control. Um and yeah. and after the season the Cardinals had with some of the bullpen issues they had, uh, yeah. It was a very, yeah. I think, calming influence. And so, you know, kind of the backdrop against which he arrived on the scene in St. Louis, I think has has led me to have a little bit more sentimentality towards him than I might otherwise have, um, because he really helped the team in an important way when they needed it. and And so, you know, I hope he does well. But I also, I don't know if I would want to bet that he would do it for two more years because he really hasn't done it consistently throughout his career. Uh, And, and it seems like a risky bet for the Padres to make.
0: I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And the other move the team made, uh, uh, they non-tendered Jose Rondon. Um, Ben, any thoughts on that particular move? That did
1: not surprise me at all. He's always been, uh, a poor fit for this roster because he doesn't really play the positions or bat the way that the team needs him to bat in terms of, you know, handedness. And so he just, he wasn't a very good fit uh, on the roster. Yeah, And so clearing up the roster space made sense. Um, I think this pretty clearly indicates what we already knew. Yuppez is going to be coming up. And largely filling that role of, of corner infielder, corner outfielder, DH from the right-hand side. And it remains to be seen uh, what the team will do from the left-hand side, which is really where they need that type of versatility. Uh, because they need a complement to get at bats, who's a good fielder and can spell uh, multiple players on that infield and and help uh, Ollie Marmol have a lineup that is greater than the sum of its parts, uh, with Tommy Edman on the bench more often.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that one way that you make yourself a good baseball team, and one way that you stay a good baseball team for twenty plus years, is you don't go to arbitration with your backup backup infielder, and that's something that the Cardinals have done consistently. And, uh, you know, people have often pointed out that, you know, since Albert Pujols, um, you know, this team hasn't really produced, uh, you know, a superstar position player. Um, and so people sometimes talk about like, well, the you know, maybe the system hasn't produced. But what they always produce is they always produce these role player guys. And I think that is tremendously valuable and has been tremendously valuable throughout all this time. And so... You know, if you're a good organization, a guy like Jose Rondon, you're not gonna go to salary arbitration with a guy like that because you have uh you have other people that can fill that role. And and you mentioned Yepes, and of course, and I called Rondon their backup backup infielder because he is a backup in, infielder but of course you correctly pointed out that they were basically using him more like a backup outfielder because it was just frankly a mess how they were using him so so yeah Yipes kind of fills that role but even if you're thinking of him more in terms of an infield role um, you know presumably you've got Edmondo Sosa ahead of him more in that kind of backup infielder role and um, you know you've got someone like Nolan Gorman you've got someone like Brendan Donovan you know, kind of, you know, coming up and presumably making their way onto the roster this year. So you just you don't need to go to arbitration and pay a, a Jose Rondone. So I'm I'm not surprised, and I think it makes sense um, to move on from there. Yeah, so. wh-
1: whoever whoever um, loses the shortstop derby, that's
0: your new Rondone. Yeah, you know, and so. Right, and, and this kind of dovetails into our next question here because I, I hope there's also another name in the mix there. I hope there's somebody else in that sort of middle infield situation that's a, a new addition to this club that we're not talking about yet. And that brings us to um, one of our first uh, questions we had uh, from a reader. This is from uh, at Fan 69 He said, since the cards uh, will wait until post-CBA to make another move, what do you see as the most likely move improvement and then i guess we're officially now we know that they're not going to make any <laughs> moves cuz the cba has expired so um you know what the hell are they going to do
1: um i i think very clearly they're going to get a bench bat um and i would be surprised frankly i'd be shocked if it's if it's not someone who is left-handed and is a pretty good glove at second base um i also think they're going to continue to add uh, multiple relievers um so we're gonna see more of the reliever by volume uh, approach in my opinion and uh that of course means that uh they may have to cycle through relievers during the season but Um, I I think that's what we're going to see from them uh, here once the lockout ends, which very well could be in February, like on the cusp of when spring training uh, typically begins. So be prepared for a long, silent winter of collective bargaining agreement negotiations.
0: Yeah. And I know the the question is, and I think we want to, you know, focus on what the Cardinals are going to do, but, and we touched on this earlier, you know, the, the, the idea of the work stoppage is that it like puts pressure on to make a deal, but like, what pressure is there on December 1st? You know, there's none. Like what, what does it matter that there's a work stoppage right now? It doesn't matter. And there's not going to be any pressure, as you said, until we get to something like February 1st, until we get close to when spring training is going to start. And then you're actually starting to compress the actual schedule of time of the the season and preparations and things like that. So it which I think makes the just sort of futility of all of this, you know, even more pronounced, you know, because. It you know I, it's like there's no universe I don't think where you know this gets resolved you know in a few weeks or in you know the middle of January because why would it there's no there's no pressure there's no trigger so yeah I think we're all just going to kind of sit around and then at some point as you know it maybe starts to approach that spring training point things will, will kind of move ahead um, but yeah I you know that the bench bat you know, definitely does make a lot of sense. And I know you and I have that, that's sort of a piece that we've talked about a lot that they need to get more left-handed. The, the whole shortstop second base situation is really the, the area where they're just not good enough. And so, you know, we, we want to see somebody in there. I'll tell you, Ben, my challenge is it's hard for me to identify like, who, who is that person there? Because, for one thing, I have never believed that they would be any kind of a player in the top of the market shortstop type guys. Uh, for one thing, you know, Corey Seeger was the only left handed guy up there. And I mean, he was always going to be out of their price range. And of course, he's gone right now. Um, I know a lot of people like Trevor Story. I think Trevor Story is bad at baseball. <laughs> so, like, Tre- Trevor Story has been a worse hitter each of the last four years. Um, I don't I just for the life of me, I don't understand why people would want to go out and acquire a guy who has been getting worse every year for four straight seasons. Like, why do you want to sign that guy as a free agent to a long term deal? Oh, and he's right handed. And there's significant questions about his like arm and you want him to play shortstop on your team that's built around defense. Like I, I cannot I mean, like Trevor Story checks every box for like this guy is not does not make sense here, but it, but any of those guys, you know, I mean, Carlos Correa is an amazing player. I would love for the Cardinals to acquire Carlos Correa, but for all of those reasons, for the the realities of what they're going to spend, they're just not going to do that. Like, I don't know who that kind of like mid tier or lower tier type guy is they they might go after. Do you have anybody in mind? Or um, I really don't. There's a part of me that. Um that wonders if they might make a trade. Um, And yeah, I feel like it almost has to be a trade because it doesn't seem like there's anybody on the free agent market that fits that profile. It's
1: uh, you know, the uh, Eduardo Escobar was someone that I thought might make uh, some good sense for them. Um, But you know, obviously he signed a a pretty good sized deal with the Mets. And when I saw what he signed for, um, you know, I understood why the Cardinals weren't in on that market. And if, if you look at the rest of the players who are available out there, you know, you are not really looking at a lot of enticing names. I mean, they're, they're people like yeah. Greg Garcia and Matt Carpenter, Donovan Solano, you know, Josh Harrison, yeah. you know, not, not yeah. people who you really even feel great about necessarily as, you know, part of a platoon. Um, and so right. it, it makes me wonder if it makes more sense for the team, you know, to explore the trade market uh, a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that's why I say that I just, I look at the list and I, I don't see anyone who jumps out to me as, as a really good fit in that regard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I agree. But, but, um, I, I, you know, I feel like there's, that's an obvious need and the team has kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, the other way that you can potentially get that left-handed bat in there is of course, the, the DH, and I don't expect them to go out and sign a traditional designated hitter, and I'm making air quotes here right now, um, you know, because I just, teams don't really do that anymore, and I think especially the Cardinals don't really do that. You know, first of all, we don't even know if there is going to be a designated hitter, and it looks like we won't know until, you know, February or whatever if they sign this but it seems like everyone expects that that will be part of this CBA. So even if we assume it's going to be part of this CBA, I mean, for one thing, you, you know, Yepez, it seems like they really do want to be part of this team. And, you know, hitter seems like that's really his primary position. So I think that's a place that he probably sees a fair amount of time. But, um, you know, for one thing, he's never been in the majors. And for another thing, you just you, you have another opportunity there, too. So I think if you can find um you know a, a left-hander who could you know spell uh a left-handed batter who could spell uh a corner infield spot or something like that you know that could you know that could make some sense there um so i think it was uh jeff jones throughout kyle Seeger's name the other day that that doesn't specifically that didn't really make sense to me but i could kind of see that, that, you know it, it, That being sort of in that genre, at least, of left-handed you know, corner type guy who's in there, uh, you know, can, can spell some of those guys could take some of those DH type spots if you get it, you know, and, and of course, if, you know, like Yepes or somebody or Gorman, you know, those are all kind of speculative guys to potentially step up into that. If those guys don't step up there, you do kind of just need another bat to be available in that position anyway. So, um, that's another area I could see them maybe going after a bat. Um, the one other thing, Ben, we talked about last time, I think it was in a, a Derek Gould article, they thrown out the idea that pitching-wise, the team might be looking to acquire something like a number three starter and then something like a number seven starter. Well, Matt's is clearly their kind of number three starter they went after. Um, do you think they still go after that kind of back end of the rotation guy?
1: Yeah, um, I think they will. I, I think, you know, despite everyone – uh being aboard the Woodford train apparently uh, Moailla seems and Gersh have seemed to go, go out of their way to praise Woodford the media has followed suit uh, it really feels to me like they need another swing type guy uh, like a LeBlanc and we talked about this on the last episode and you know I think it would do them good to get someone uh, who, has that strike throwing pedigree and is comfortable coming in and filling that role. And, and LeBlanc did a really good job of it last year. And really, you know, there's, there's a pretty good argument to make that the Cardinals don't, you know, maybe don't make the postseason if they don't have LeBlanc come in and help stabilize that rotation before the trade deadline. Um, and, yeah. But if, but if you go and look at what, you know, Woodford has done, you know, it's not really all that heartening. He had an 11.7% walk rate in AAA in 2019. Uh, he walked fewer people last year in the majors, but just overall was not good. And, you know, this year he, he lowered his walk rate uh, in the minors down to 7.9, but for St. Louis, it was 8.5, and that's working in relief, which is easier than starting for for a lot wow. of innings. And, you know, I just look at that and, you know, and then I, yeah. I go and I look at he had a slightly below yeah. average batting average on balls in play. Like, do you really want that guy to be your swing guy? Do you want Oviedo to be your swing guy. I I don't know if you do. I, I think I would want someone with more experience in the majors being a a swing type of pitcher between the rotation uh, and relief. And I think the team will probably go find a player like that. And, and another thing uh, I also wanted to bring up is the team needs pitching. Yes. They're relying on a lot of players uh, who, frankly, we don't know how they will bounce back from injury. Jack Flaherty, Michaelis, Hudson, yeah. you know, those yeah. those players are all a health question mark to varying degrees. And and so is Adam Wainwright.
0: You know, we're about – Yeah, I was going to say the, the, what, like 42-year-old who pitched, what, 200 innings yeah, last year?
1: Who has a history <laughs> of kind of breaking down yeah. – uh, You know, his sinew (laughs) gives him issues every few years. And so I don't think, even though they have that need, though, that they will be able to entice a free agent who wants to start to join this team moving forward because they have five dedicated rotation spots. And if if the players are healthy, those rotation spots are spoken for. And so I I think you are unlikely to see them go out and add another major league caliber starter before there is a health issue that arises. And so uh, if if you're – Well, I I don't – Oh, I was just going to say, if you're hoping for them to sign another interesting major league starter – Uh, I I wouldn't be getting my hopes up too high that they're going to do that.
0: Well, I'll tell you, if if I had to say what I think the, the biggest consistent organizational flaw with the St. Louis Cardinals in this day and age is, it is the fact that they do not add enough depth that's what it is to me and I see a lot of people who complain that they don't sign star players I don't think that's the issue at all first of all they you know they traded for Nolan Arenado last season Nolan Arenado has a top 10 contract and you know average annual value like they they have star players on this team but to me the problem is they don't add those depth pieces and instead anytime they have Uh, somebody who seems like they might be able to step up, they use it as an excuse not to have depth. And we talked so much last season about the horrific decision to not uh, bring Colton Wong back, um, not exercise their team option on Colton Wong. And the reason they did that was because they had Tommy Edmund who they thought was going to be good enough. And that is the kind of decision they make across the board. And In where we're talking here about pitching, you you can see them getting ready to make these kind of decisions here. You know, guys like Oviedo, guys like Woodford, huge question mark guys, but those guys are valuable also because those are pre-arb guys with options. So the Cardinals can really do anything they want with those guys. They don't need to guarantee those guys a spot. They shouldn't guarantee those guys a spot. They should bring in better pitchers and bring in better options. And then if those guys um, you know, show improvement, if those guys rise to the top, or what's frankly more likely, if injuries and ineffectiveness rear their head and they have to go to them anyway, then they have those guys there. But I think what the Cardinals too often do is you know, they see um, you know, a brief window of effectiveness out of somebody like a Woodford and they say, oh, great, well, he's our number five starter now. And then they, they don't have the depth that they need as a result of that.
1: Oh, I absolutely agree that, that they need to um, add more better pitchers to push Oviedo and Woodford down in the depth chart. My point simply was, if you're hoping that they're going to you know, sign a major league caliber starter who's who's a quality pitcher at this point in his career, uh, I don't think that's going to happen because if you're that type of pitcher, you're going to be able to get a guaranteed rotation spot somewhere else. And that's something that the Cardinals won't be able to offer anyone until the depth issues come up with injury and what have you. Um, And that is also why I think they'll go get, You know, it might be a starter who's trying to break back in, who has high upside, um, but they're going to sign someone who's going to be able to push Oviedo down to AAA, let him get regular starts, and uh, who might do the same to Woodford, at least to start the year. Um, But with the way they're talking, it sure sounds like maybe they think Woodford is that guy, which is a very interesting assessment of his talent in my opinion
0: uh, i agree i agree but uh you know uh we we certainly hope <laughs> that uh, their their optimism is uh uh is is founded on something i know we always like to be pleasantly surprised uh by uh, by these things so um so moving on towards the end here we have, we have a few more listener questions um so a couple that i kind of grouped together here uh ben uh, and i grouped these together as a uh, angry about spending uh brady uh said uh, uh how much do you think the new extension to ballpark village from the money that was supposed to impact free agency will impact st louis and uh tristan wants to know how many bow ties do you think mo bought with the 35 million he isn't spending on Korea? so um, I thought those were, t- those are two questions we got. I think those reflect some, uh, some frustration at, uh, ownership and, uh, and spending. Um, what do you, wh- what are your thoughts overall just on how this team spends its, spends its money and either of those questions specifically?
1: Well, Vineyard Vines bow ties are probably pretty expensive. Um, yeah. now, <laughs> um, that being said, uh, you know, I, I think from the bonding documents for Ballpark Village, the uh, the corporation that the Cardinals partnered with for Ballpark Village and the Cardinals projected uh, seventy five to eighty two million dollars in revenue from Ballpark Village. I think we're they probably did not achieve that. In 2020 or 2021, because of COVID nineteen, they probably won't in in 2022 because of COVID nineteen either. Um, but the sort of animosity towards Ballpark Village and that revenue stream uh, is is totally understandable because that's you know that's Korea right? Like easily Korea if if the team wanted to do that yeah. um, and and run Ballpark Village as a way of subsidizing. Uh, st. Louis Cardinals baseball operations. I think instead they're using it as a way to subsidize ownership uh, you know earnings. Um, the, uh, the one cardinal way, I believe it's at 100% capacity and you know I'm not sure uh, what their projected revenues were in that regard for one cardinal way, but you you have to figure, it's up uh, approaching or surpassing 100 million dollars in terms of revenue now they also you know when i say for bonding purposes they have to pay off what they borrowed to put it in but um you know they're they're making money uh from those fixtures that are suppressing offense at bush stadium and making the on-field product worse for fans and from an offensive and batting excitement perspective and so, you know, I understand where people are coming from. I think if you are upset about money, you should be upset at Bill DeWitt Jr. and Bill DeWitt III. John John Mosellock has nothing to do with any of that. He gets a budget yeah. and he has to create a baseball operations uh, budget for the year uh, within it, and he has to execute that budget accordingly. Um, and, and so, you know, I understand how ridiculous grown men often look in bow bow ties and how that can be, uh, sort of something that grabs your attention and can be a fixture of your frustration. Uh, but if you are upset about how much money the St. Louis Cardinals are spending, it is all Bill DeWitt Jr., Bill DeWitt III, and the other owners in the ownership group. They are the ones who are dictating what the team is spending on baseball operations and major league payroll, and you should be upset with them. And if you're wondering why there is a lockout tomorrow and there will no longer be any rumors or free agent signings or trades, it is because of Bill DeWitt Jr., Bill DeWitt III, and their other major league owners, because they made the decision to do this because they think a lockout is the best way for them to continue to make as much money as possible.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I'm with you. And uh, you know, it's uh, you know, owner. I mean, professional. The fact that we have private owners of you know professional sports teams are just. I mean, the, you know, these are the villains to me. Just you know, uh, uh, consistently and always, you know, these are uh, you know insanely wealthy individuals who you know own these these teams that we we all love and are these beloved public institutions, um, and they uh, you know, they, they profit off of them and they, um, you know, spend on them at their, at their whim. And we, their books are never transparent to us. We never have any kind of idea on any of that. And, um, you know, of course they, they cry poor at every turn, but, um, you know, (laughs) <laughs> but are they ever poor? No, they're never poor. They, uh, they, uh, they come out very, very well. Um, and yeah, I, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the general managers, of course, the general managers are the ones who seem to be making the moves, but as you said, you know, that they're given the budget, they're, they're kind of working at the direction and specifically in St. Louis, you know, that's really, you know, clearly how it works. And, you know, just fashion wise, I ran into Mo once at, uh, spring training and, um, like, I mean, we didn't like chat or anything, but I, I was, you know, kind of standing next to him at a spring training game once and he had like a, a sweater kind of like uh, over his, uh, over his shoulders, you know, kind of draped and tied over his, his shoulder, you know, very kind of like, you know, kind of preppy look, but, um, but you know, he looked really good though. I gotta be honest, you know, he has a, it's not my fashion sense, but, um, you know, he's a, he's a well-dressed man. So, um. Uh, I, uh, I'll, I'll, give him that. Um, another, uh, listener question we had here. Um, uh, Sarah Ann wants to know who is our favorite listener? Ben, uh, do you have a favorite listener to Cardinals off day? Um, do, I, I don't think our wives listen. If our wives listened, we'd have to automatically say them, but I don't believe either of our wives listen, do they?
1: Well, uh, Uh, my wife does listen on occasion and, and so does, uh, our seven-year-old Lane. So they, they're obviously my favorite listeners. Um, after, after my family, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Dan cards, fan 69, uh, who constantly gives us, uh, feedback, uh, and I think in a good natured way and it's fun. Um, and I don't mean to, uh, insult anyone else, obviously with a Twitter handle like that, he sticks out. (laughs) I I can easily remember, uh, him. Uh, and so, uh, I, I have kind of been put on the spot because I did not see this question and I probably should have gone and
0: (laughs) and looked at,
1: at some more of our, uh, of some of the good listeners who have sent us good questions and that, um, but I think, like, for example, Dan CardsFan69 sent his questions to us today, uh, photoshopped pictures of Tyler O'Neill with like comic book air, you know, speaking bubbles coming out, asking the questions. Just as an example. That's, you period. know, just as an example of how he will uh, fairly regularly make me laugh. And so.
0: Um, yeah, he, no, he, yeah, he really, yeah, he, he, he really raised the bar with those questions today. I agree a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So well, like you, I will say in the unlikely event that my, my wife or children or anyone else in my family are listening, you are my favorite listeners. Um, uh, and since you already picked Dan Card's fan 69 Sarah-Ann, I'm going to say you are my favorite listener because in addition to being the one who answered this question, um, you, uh, you regularly uh, retweet our uh, show when we post it and, and interact and post things, and we appreciate that. But honestly, we're, we're really grateful for everyone who listens to the show and especially um, people who do send in questions and things like that. Um, it's just always nice to, to have that, that interaction with folks. We really appreciate that. So... With that, um, we, uh, we usually end with some off-day recommendations, and we actually had a couple questions that kind of specifically got at some off-day recommendations, so we'll move on to those as well. And one of those came from someone who I think, Ben, we also could have chosen as one of our favorite listeners, um, Daniel Shoptaw um, at C70, who um, I'm sure many of you know from uh, Meet Me Unusual and uh, his, his blog, and, and, and many other places. Uh, and Daniel asked us, uh, what was the best Cardinals-related Christmas present that you ever received? Um, do you have something in mind, Ben, or you want me to go first? Um, I do. And uh,
1: I have to offer the caveat that I have a, a birthday that is close to Christmas. And so what I got for my birthday versus what I got for christmas that is cardinals related is very fuzzy in my head um i i cannot readily tell you uh, which is which um so uh, with that in mind the best cardinals related gift that i ever got um and i i believe we've mentioned the Clorinda a's in past episodes but every year they have a fundraising banquet and Ozzie Smith is at the fundraising banquet. He signs autographs to help the Clarinda A's who are a summer wooden bat leg for collegiate players that Ozzy played on uh, before he was a professional baseball player. And my mom got me uh, two tickets to go uh, to that fundraiser. And I got to meet and hang out with Ozzie Smith. And I also got his autograph. And that is uh, the best Cardinals related uh, Christmas gift that I have received.
0: Yeah, that's, that's tough to beat. That's tough to beat right there. Um, uh, so that's pretty solid. I, um, so I'm going to bend the rules just slightly because this is not a Christmas present, but uh, I have a very, uh, very meaningful Christmas or Cardinals related gift that I got. And this Goes back to my very first Cardinals game that I ever went to. Um, and gosh, I don't know how old I was. I was uh, I was somewhere between five and seven years old. Um, so I, I was pretty young. And we, um, I uh, I grew up in Iowa, but my extended family is all kind of from the St. Louis area, and so we would often go to St. Louis for the summers. And so we were, uh, or you know, for at least a trip during the summer. So we were down. Uh, went to St. Louis and this was, I was old enough that I had become a Cardinals fan. And as part of this trip, we were going to go see a Cardinals game. So it's going to be like my first Cardinals game. And uh, we were staying at my aunt's house and uh, we did not have a lot of money like growing up. And so like, I really did not get gifts like outside of like my birthday and Christmas, you know, like I just, you didn't just get like a gift on a random day. So never expected things like that. But um, the day that we were uh, that I was going to go to my first Cardinals game I woke up in like the room I was staying in at my aunt's apartment which as I recall it was like her like sewing room so I was like sleeping on a mattress like next to all this like yarn and stuff kind of in the corner and I looked over and like kind of hanging on the door there was a Cardinals t-shirt and hat that uh my dad had had bought for me um that i was going to get to wear to my first cardinals game that i went to that day so it wasn't christmas but that was a very very special cardinals gift that i got that is, is uh, i will always always remember so um so that was a special one for me uh well, that that was that was one, one last question we have was heartwarming
1: today. like a christmas gift
0: ben that's a, Well, that's why I went with that one. That's why see in my mind, I was like, I'm breaking the rules of the question, but I think I'm going to bring some Christmas spirit with the heartwarmingness of this story. so I' I'm, uh, I'm glad that I pulled that off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that had more um, uh, that All had right, more so the
1: Christmas spirit to it than like die hard, you know. It, it was uh, yeah, <laughs> it, uh, I really enjoyed that. That's a wonderful story.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> all right. Well, I was just going to, I was going to go on down a really dark road with a diehard related story, but I'm not <laughs> going to go there because I don't think that's the vibe we want to end things on. Instead, we want to go to our last question we had, and this is very much uh, in line with how, what we usually do with our, our recommendations. Uh, Michael Diver sent us a question and he asked if we had any suggestions of baseball books for the holidays. I was glad to get this question. I think this is a great question um, both for like, if you're looking for a gift for somebody, but I know that I personally, I really enjoy reading baseball books like in the off season. Like I don't really read baseball books during the baseball season. Cause I'm kind of like watching so much baseball. Like if I'm going to read a book, I don't really want to go read more baseball, but you know in in wintertime, that's usually when I'll kind of maybe dive in and and, and read a baseball book. So um, Ben, are there some some books you would especially recommend? Um, yes, the uh, the book Alberto's,
1: which is about the uh, you know obviously the late sixties uh, St. Louis Cardinals um, is a really great book. And I first came to read it, you know, I, I used to write, uh, for the, uh, Viva Alberto's blog and became the site manager. Um, but the, the book is by Doug Feldman. Uh, it's called Alberto's the 1967 and 1968 St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and whenever I would get an angry email or Twitter message accusing me of running a site with a racist name. <laughs> I would explain uh, the name of the site, Vive Alberto's and recommend this book. Uh, I think it's really good. Um, and um, a, a part of Cardinal's history that just, you know, obviously with each passing year, every past season uh, gets further behind. Um, but uh, it, It is a really good book that I really enjoyed. Um, Another good one that I enjoy is, uh, and I've read this one a a couple of times. Uh, It's a book about the Gas House Gang. It's called The Gas House Gang. And I'm right now squinting because I have my headset on and I can't quite read the subtitle on the spine of the book. Um, But it's by uh, John uh, Heidenry. And... you know, it's about the Gas House Gang, and it's it's really well done, and and gives you uh, some really fun anecdotes about that team. Uh, and that is a book that I have uh, really enjoyed when I first read it, and then also when I have revisited it because it's it's just it's a fun team from a fun era of baseball, and I think the book uh, really kind of illuminates what the game was like back then uh and in particular in St. Louis.
0: Nice. Nice. Great. Uh I have not read uh either of those. So um I uh, I may need to check those out myself. Those both sound pretty good. Um so I'm going to I'm going to uh, recommend two books as well. As you were talking, I realized <laughs> Um, neither of my books are actually about the Cardinals. So, uh, um, maybe that's not what uh, Michael was looking for specifically, but, uh, we're all baseball fans too. And these are both baseball books. So hopefully they'll still be interesting. So the first one, um, I have recommended before on the show. And so people are going to feel like I'm just going on endlessly about this, but I really love the book, uh, c- came out within the last year or so, uh, our team by Luke Eplin. Um, Luke is a St. Louis native and I know he's a Cardinals fan too. So that kind of counts. Um, uh, it's about the uh, uh uh the Cleveland Indians, um uh, kind of focused on uh uh on Bill Vec and Satchel Page and uh uh Larry Doby um and uh uh oh god uh, uh the, the van meter heater. What can I think of his name, Ben? Bob Feller. <laughs> ben, and I, ben and I live in Des Moines, like about uh, 30, 30 minutes from where Bob Feller's from. So he's kind of a folk hero around him. So, of course, he's, he's the one who I would uh, forget. Um, but uh, I, our team is just a fantastic, fantastic book. I, I can't recommend enough. Uh, the other one I would recommend uh, is a, a book called The Big Fella by Jane Levy uh, about uh, Babe Ruth uh came out uh, in uh, 2018 so fairly recently as well um and uh, it's also it's it's sort of framed loosely around uh, one of the barnstorming tours um that uh, that he did uh, uh that uh, that Ruth did um and uh but but it's also just kind of tells the whole story of his life and, and in a lot of ways it's kind of about um sort of fame and kind of the sort of self-made nature of, of Ruth. And, um, so one of the things I like about both of these books is they're kind of about these larger than life, um, you know, baseball figures from kind of the the golden age, but they're very modern takes on them. You know, they don't kind of, um, inflate them or, you know, kind of just, um, you know, repeat sort of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the tall tales that, uh, kind of perpetuated about them. And it really kind of like looks under the hood as to, you know, like, well, what, what, what were these people really like? So those are, those are two that I would, uh, I would highly recommend. Um, so Ben, I think that's everything we kind of had on tap for today. Anything else for the Good of the order before we wrap it up? Um, one other book, if you
1: are someone who uh, is interested in labor issues in baseball, is the book Lords of the Realm. Um, and it uh, kind of gets into the history of, of labor issues in baseball and helps illuminate you know, where we are now and, and why uh, the owners, in my opinion, in particular – uh, have, have dug in, uh, of late and are driving a hard bargain with respect to the latest collective bargaining agreement. And, uh, in fact, I've actually been thinking about rereading it, uh, due to the lockout. So that's one other one that comes to mind.
0: That's what, that's another one I haven't read, but I I have heard that one recommended in various circles. So that's now would probably be a really good time to, uh, to check that one out. So. I may have to have to give that one a read. So, all righty. Well, um, I, uh, I don't know when we're going to see people next. Uh, we certainly, uh, you know, have intended to check in with folks as, uh, as news breaks and important moments hit here through the, uh, through the off season, but, uh, we're, we're entering a bit of a bit of an uncertain period here, but I think Ben and I certainly hope that, um, You know, this uh, this lockout won't last too terribly long and there will be some sort of, you know, sanity and clarity. And we'll get back to some actual, uh, you know, baseball news and things. And whenever that happens, we'll uh, we'll be back. So um, I suppose if that happens after the holidays, I'd certainly like to wish everybody a a happy holiday. But we'll definitely look forward to uh, being back with you guys soon. So um, Ben, anything else? from you before we sign off
1: i i second your happy holiday wishes to everyone uh safe travels uh and uh enjoy your time with your loved ones because it's it's a very uh it it can sometimes be a little trying but it's also a very enjoyable time of the year uh, to get to spend time with family members that maybe you don't get to see all that often
0: Absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. And and in the meantime, just remember, you can always uh, kind of follow along with us at, uh, uh, at Cardinals Off Day on Twitter. And uh, if you're not following us on Substack, we're uh, Cardinals Off Day at Substack. And uh, until uh, then, we'll, uh, we'll uh, see you on the next uh, Cardinals uh, Off Day.